are you? Good evening, everyone. My name is <laughs> my name is Rado. I am your conductor for tonight's performance, and thank you. And it is my great pleasure to introduce the soloist for tonight's concert, Charles Yang. And since he was here and available, and I, I just asked him 10 minutes ago, can you participate for a few minutes in the pre-concert? Yeah, I haven't even changed yet. You know, it's, a, it's okay. Do I look okay? All right, fine. That's good. Now, I, I think we should share with everybody how we first met. Because this is, this is actually one of my, uh, believe it or not, favorite uh, pastime activities. I always write in my bio, I love playing tennis, Biking, what else? Fishing, and uh, doing chamber music reading parties. And what this means is that you get together with friends, uh, you have a drink, you have some nice food, and then you read string quartets. But because of the drink, you think everything sounds really, really good. <laughs> and this is how we first met. Uh, we were, this was happening at a violin shop uh, in uh, New York. Yeah, I, I, but let's not dismiss the fact that it's even more pressure for me to be on stage tonight because Radu is an incredible violin player. He is a, is a fantastic string player that just, like, does it all. <laughs> so he knows everything I'm doing up here. Now, he's just very nice, but uh, people like him are the reason I'm conducting tonight. No. <laughs> Yo, that party was fun. I mean, that was, uh, that was the first time we met. We met at... Um, Terizio in New York, where um, they sell Stradivarius and Guarneri's, you know, $40 million instruments, whatnot. <laughs> and then we, and he, our friend uh, runs it, so he just lets us go there after hours and read music and play uh, and, and drink around these expensive instruments, which is, which is totally thrilling, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it was really a fantastic time. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit, uh, and this is uh, really what happened. Uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic, I was sitting at home. Everything was canceled. The, there was this whole busy schedule, and all of a sudden, actually, I think I fished for about a month almost every day. <laughs> and then, you know, there's no, only that long that you can sit next to the water with a stick in your hand, so that got a little <laughs> bit boring. But I was sitting at home, and I was on, on Facebook, like everybody else, and there were a lot of home-made uh, videos. Uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of uh, musicians were posting short videos of themselves uh, playing. And I have to confess, my patience for them was not uh, very, very long. I would, we are all at a very difficult time psychologically, so it was really hard in a way to, to watch a lot of music videos. So I was scrolling, you know how it goes, Instagram and Facebook, you just go, go, go. And then there was this stream from the violin uh, channel and it was it was considered a live stream. What that means is it's the first one they're playing it, and I started listening and I froze in front of the uh, screen I, and I listened for the full uh, hour and it was Charles Yang and Peter Dugan playing an incredible violin and piano uh, recital and that is really what inspired the program tonight because I believe you're going to hear three songs from that particular yeah. Uh, Recital. So let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. The first thing we're doing with you is a piece by Ravel. This is a very famous piece in the violin repertoire. Uh, repertory. It's called Tsigan. It's really inspired by Hungarian uh, folk music. It was written uh, for a 
famous Hungarian uh, violinist. Her name was Jelly Darani. Yeah. She didn't play the very first time, but she did the Paris premiere of the, uh, of the piece. And just to put this into perspective, this is very dear to my heart because growing up in Romania, this is a neighbor, neighboring country to Hungary, I heard this kind of playing uh, almost every single day uh, of my life. And I have an example of something that's uh, quite authentic. This is what it would sound like in a, it's more raw form, but really well played. We're not playing this one, but... just to, to get the idea and that, that is actually a, yeah. a very famous violinist in this genre Robi Lakatosh I don't know if, if you've heard of his name he uh, tours all over the world he also plays at a restaurant in Hungary uh, but it's really very hard to get in you got to reserve about a month two months in advance because it's just that incredibly popular he's but, like he's like the um, I mean since this is close to Chicago and the home of the blues he's like B.B. King over there you know he's got or Buddy Guy, you know, the House of Blues, and Robbie Lukatosh has his own little restaurant that he plays at, which is amazing. Right, so the first piece, Tsigat, is really inspired by this kind of music, and so is the second piece, the Chardash, that's probably the most popular uh, Hungarian fiddle tune you can think of. If you're a Hungarian, and I would say even Romanian violinist, uh, it's almost impossible that you haven't uh, played Chardash at least uh, 50 times in, <laughs> in your life. But... Uh, Chardash tonight is really going to take a twist. And I wanted to ask you, we're going to start with the normal Chardash, and then we're going to touch on a few different musical yeah. styles. What inspired you to do these arrangements? You know, I just, I like having fun, you know? I, um, I'm from Texas. I know I look like it, right? Um, <laughs> I'm from Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, my, my mom's a violin player, classical violin player, and I'd just been playing classical violin since I was three years old. So when I was about 13 or 14, my friends that just picked up a guitar, you know, a month before, asked me to come jam. And I went over and I said, where's my music? And they said, we don't know how to read music. <laughs> we just picked this guitar up last month. But what they did know was how to improvise. And they taught me the blues scale. They taught me the blues. They taught me um, all of the necessities that, you know, go with many of today's music, pop, rock, um, even some jazz. And I learned the blues and I learned how to improvise. So uh, when it came to Chardas, am I saying this right? Chardas, yes. <laughs> Chardas, Chardas. Uh, you know, it, that's a piece, like you heard with Robbie Lukatos here, that's a piece that you, you can have fun with. You can really improvise and go, go wild. So I thought, why not add a little bit of my fiddling in there, my Texas fiddling. And um, yeah, we take a totally different spin. Um, and there's some blues, there's some, uh, and then eventually it goes back to the original tune. But um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And wild it is, believe me. It's, <laughs> uh, now, the reason that I froze and I, I forgot to tell you is because I really thought he was 
uh, breaking between different genres, and it was just absolutely seamless. And the other thing, it was done at the highest possible artistic level, and I was just, I, I called my wife into the room, I was, Blair, Blair, c come here, you, you gotta see this. Because I was just thinking, how come nobody has done this quite like this before and at this level? Now tell me something, I, I, I do play the violin too, and uh, very well. No, <laughs> stop it with that. You can also sing and play the violin at the same time, and I, I cannot tell you how difficult that is. Can you tell us how did you develop that skill? Because you're, you're holding the violin under your, your chin, and it's already so difficult to begin with, and then to let go, to have that be a, totally a reflex, and be able to sing it, I, I just find it incredible. I think it's mainly that I have attention deficit disorder, you know? I think it's, uh, I do a whole bunch of things, I like trying other things out, and really I started singing, I mean, I've been singing my whole life, but I, I really kind of took it seriously when I was in high school, and. There were a couple cute girls in choir, so I joined choir. <laughs> and my parents hated me because I should have joined orchestra, but no, I joined choir. And then when I got to Juilliard, I, I don't know, I just put it together. You know, I put it together, I experimented with singing and playing, and, um, and now it's uh, part of what I do, it's part of what my band Time for Three does, and you know, we have a good time. Great, and one last question, and then yes, I, I, will, I will let you go. Uh, the last piece, on the first half. It's a Beatles song. Yes, sir. Blackbird. Blackbird. And uh, you will see, this is really exciting, but at the first rehearsal, uh, we asked the orchestra for the first uh, 23 bars, treat everything that you see uh, in your part as a somewhat of a suggestion. But you can play anything you want to create the sound of a rainforest. And the effect is just absolutely stunning. How, how did you think of that? Well, I mean, first of all, it takes an orchestra like yours, your amazing orchestra here, to just be open to improvising. This is just like me in high school. If I didn't take that step, I wouldn't be improvising today. And they've been amazing since rehearsal day one. Um, we said, okay, don't play what's on the page and just come up with something. Sound effects, textures. And they did it. And tonight you're just going to hear how these organic instruments here can totally transport you away from this theater into like a complete rainforest. And I, you know, that always has been really exciting for me because my violin, my violin was made in the 1800s, but it's been going on since the 1600s, you know, there's violins that old. And uh, how can you make an instrument that's so traditional into something that's current and today and... Um, make it sound like something completely different. So, yeah, we hope you, any Beatles fans out here? All right, okay. So, and I, if I, I just gotta tell you, I, it's so convincing, I, I'm coming from Florida, and I thought I would be getting away from the week, but then I heard these sounds, and it's, <laughs> it just sent me just right back, because you get that kind of vegetation and birds everywhere. Yeah, right here in Rockford, baby. All right. Charles, we're so looking forward to the first half. Thank, Thank you, you much, so much. Thank you, everyone, have fun. Now, I got to tell you, I really had the most wonderful time working with the musicians of the Rockford uh, Symphony Orchestra this week. It's also, it's been a very, very busy week. 
uh, I got to see a lot of uh, Rockford. I got to meet a lot of wonderful people. And I also got to eat a lot of good food. And it's been just wonderful. Now, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, Charles's portion of the program. The first piece on our program, this is uh, called Entrucked by Caroline uh, Shaw. Caroline Shaw is a very, very uh, talented musician and multi-talented, I would say. She is a fantastic violinist, she's a producer, she's a singer, and she's a Pulitzer Prize in music winner. And as a matter of fact, she's the youngest in uh, the history of uh, this award. This piece that we are going to do uh, for you, it's about 11 minutes, and it was inspired uh, by a Haydn string quartet, Opus 77, uh, number two. She was listening to this piece uh, live. It was the Brentano Quartet performing it. And uh, there's a, a transition that's really, it's very abrupt. It's happening uh, in the third movement, which is a menuet, trio, menuet. Uh, when it goes from the menuet to the trio, it goes to this D-flat major key that's completely uh, unexpected. And for some reason, that really, really struck her. And she started thinking about how could I possibly look at something, even physically speaking, uh, in all sorts of different ways from multiple uh, perspectives. And what it really inspired the entire piece is the idea of looking at someone. Right now, I'm looking at you normally. I see you very well. Well, a little hard with the lights. but. If I were to take some looking glass and look at you, everything gets a little bit uh, distorted. And what's fascinating in this piece, it starts, it's really, it starts with lush, beautiful harmony uh, and string sound. It's really, I like to call it hauntingly beautiful because uh, it's very likely you will uh, remember and you, would, you will want to hear the piece again after uh, tonight's performance. But in the midst of this, uh, it can get distorted at any times, and she's able to change the texture in a split uh, second, and it's the, the sound effects throughout the piece are absolutely uh, stunning. She uses uh, a couple extended techniques which have not been used uh, very often. Uh, once it's in the first section, um, she's asking the string players to bow, but not produce any actual pitch sound. So at some point you'll be hearing beautiful this kind of texture with lush, beautiful harmony, and it's all gonna get transformed into <laughs> and hearing the whole orchestra do, do this is just absolutely stunning. The overall form of the piece uh, is the same as Haydn's. It's really an A, B, A. Uh, this is called the menuet uh, and trio form. It's the same as uh, an aria da capo. If you've done or heard Messiah, almost every aria in Messiah is in this form where you hear the aria, there's maybe a second section B that's a little more like a recit, and then you hear uh, the opening section one more time. It's like going uh, home. Now, the trio section, the B section in her piece, everybody in the orchestra is playing uh, pizzicato, uh, it has a very warm, beautiful sound in the pizzicato, and it's extraordinarily difficult for the musicians because every single bar is in a different uh, meter. So, you know, we have these time signatures. It's like three, four, 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 two, four, three, eight, five, eight, 
uh, it changes every, every single uh, bar, so everyone really needs to uh, concentrate very uh, carefully. A second sound effect that we find in there, she's asking uh, the strings to do a pizzicato, but with the bow on the string. And what this does, this uh, stops a little bit of the ring of the pizzicato. The pizzicato will be happening in the left hand. Well, after the second section, we get back to the opening. It's very, very uh, beautiful. Uh, again, it's a little bit more intimate because at some point only a string quartet will be playing the main theme. And we get uh, to the end of the piece where you'll see the violins get, they all start going their separate uh, ways. It's not quite a rainforest, but it's completely, completely free. And then there's only one cello left playing this almost like a lute, old guitar tune. And it keeps going for 40 seconds. Now, if you were at home listening to a CD, the texture changes so many times that it's likely you wouldn't realize when it actually moves to the next uh, track. But in any case, I'm so happy I get to share this piece with you. I first heard it when I was a student at the New England Conservatory in Boston, and it stayed with me since uh, then. I absolutely uh, love it, and I think it's a brilliant example of uh, what a great contemporary uh, composer can achieve. And we have one more piece uh, on the program. That's Vorjak's uh, Eighth Symphony. Uh, now, a lot of you are probably very familiar with uh, Antonin Vorjak. He became famous in uh, Europe and internationally, I would say, because at Brahms's, Johannes Brahms's recommendation, he wrote two sets of uh, Slavonic dances. This is a little bit how Brahms wrote his Hungarian dances, Vorjak wrote the Slavonic dances, and he became very famous. And this is the reason uh, why. I want you to hear a little bit of one of them. You can see this is very, very happy, upbeat music. They're all wonderful. The orchestral colors are fantastic. And it's all inspired by bohemian uh, folk music. Now, Vorjak wrote a, a lot of uh, music in his life, but I'm going to go a step backwards. His seventh uh, symphony. It's considered, in a way, uh, the Czech symphony because it makes a political uh, statement, and it's a little bit darker in its, uh, in its spirit. What happened here, uh, Vorjak had a fascination with tr trains. He liked watching trains come into the station, and he would do this in Prague. He could sit there for as long as two, three hours watching trains come from all over the, the country. He had a fascination thinking about everybody's story, uh, where they're coming from on the train, uh, they're getting to the capital, what's happening. He did the same thing when he moved to the United States. He, he would go to Penn Station and sit there for hours just looking at trains uh, arriving. Well, one day in Prague, trains were filled with people coming from all over the country. They were coming 
to uh, watch an artistic performance at a theater that was supporting uh, Czech people against uh, Austro-Hungarian oppression. And this really, really moved Bartok, and that inspired him to write his seventh symphony, which was, was a very successful piece, but Johannes Brahms, Johannes Brahms always had an incredible influence on Dvorak, and they became uh, best friends until very late in, in life. He told Dvorak, this was a great piece, but I think it's time for you to go back to what you were the most successful in, and that was uh, the Slavonic dances, inspired by Bohemian folk music. So Dvorak's Eighth Symphony is the first time that he fills a symphony with Bohemian folk music, and the result is absolutely uh, stunning. Now, Dvorak was mature enough as a composer to know that he needed contrast in a piece of music. And that's why perhaps the very opening uh, of the piece is a little bit more on the, on the melancholic side. Uh, you will hear the lower strings, the celli, play this beautiful uh, line. I want you to hear it. get the idea. I wouldn't call it necessarily sad. It's almost like a monologue and it's a little bit uh, melancholic. And I think it serves a little bit as a transition from his previous symphony as well. Well, the next thing we hear is this lovely bird call in the flute. And the sun comes out and it's going to be positive for a while. so celebratory now uh, that's really the the same theme that the flute was playing it's just got transformed into this exuberant uh, incredible uh, moment now speaking of darker passages once again he's really looking for uh, contrast so the second theme is one once again perhaps a little bit more uh, melancholic with string sound we're still in the first moment this is second theme let's hear it are still there. Every time it gets sad, it doesn't last long. And we're back to dance. So really, the piece throughout, I would call it extraordinarily optimistic. Now, there's one thing I want to draw your attention to in the, in the second movement because I don't think it's random uh, at all. There are a couple moments that are, I would call them extraordinarily uh, almost Wagnerian. And 
the truth is that Dvorak really admired uh, Richard Wagner. And when Wagner came uh, to Prague to conduct some of his works, Dvorak played in the orchestra. He was a violist, and he just absolutely loved the music. And listen to this passage in the, in the second movement. To me, the writing is extremely uh, Wagnerian. All of this will be enhanced with the orchestra, don't, don't worry. Now the third uh, movement I would call all of it is a dance, but once again, it starts a little bit more uh, melancholic. And I wanted to, to share with you this, because being from that uh, part of the world, I'm from Romania. Romania is a neighbor to Hungary. Then it's, we immediately get to Vienna, a little north. You have Bratislava and, and Czech Republic. When you look at uh, all the folk music from the area, uh, there's always, even in the midst happiness, uh, there's also always a little bit of this uh, sentiment uh, of the people in the countryside, which it has just a touch of melancholic uh, feeling in it, and it just adds so much beauty to the musical texture. This is the opening of the third movement. I think it's full of hope, yet melancholic. And of course, the minor key uh, helps a little bit uh, with the melancholic feeling uh, of it. Okay, we're almost out of time. Uh, there's one more thing. Uh, the fourth movement starts with a trumpet call. Throughout history, trumpet calls uh, in music have been used, perhaps a call to, to war, or it can be uh, something very regal when the, the king or the queen are arriving. And I, I, I want to leave you with this idea in mind, and I'm going to use a line that the famous conductor, uh, Raphael Kubelik, uh, said about the piece. And what he said is that in Vorjak, even the trumpets call uh, to dance. So thank you so much for participating in the pre-concert lecture and I look forward to the concert. <laughs>